Welcome into Locked On Knicks. We have a fantastic guest for you guys today. It is a returning guest from a, a few weeks ago, maybe a month and change ago. I don't know. Time time just doesn't matter anymore. We have Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report on. You might know him as at NBA Draft Wass on Twitter. He is their lead NBA scout and draft writer at Bleacher Report. And Gavin, we uh, started things off by kind of getting into two very, very different mock drafts that he did that had the Knicks making some trades. Yeah, we one Knicks fans are gonna like a lot. One they're really gonna hate. The one that got people up in arms was was fortunately the further back one. It was all the way on October sixth. Uh, John had a deal with the Knicks trade up to number four to get Tyrese Halliburton in the process, giving up pick eight, which uh, spoiler becomes Killian Hayes for the Bulls. Kevin Knox and pick number thirty eight to do so. Um, and I, I really I was glad we had this opportunity because John made the case for Tyrese Halliburton. I was pretty dismissive of him as a player, but I, I, John frankly knows more than we do, and I, I appreciate his insight on that. And, and then another trade that might be a little bit more fascinating to Knicks fans, a scenario where they trade back from 8 um, to picks 14 and 26 with the Celtics. We go over all that and a little bit more of actual intel from John. He he'll gives us who he has the Knicks taking in his mock draft that hasn't even come out yet. So some breaking news on this one. Find out who that player is and much, much more on this edition of Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. into Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw. And as we said in the intro, we have a special guest, the returning uh, lead NBA scout and draft writer for Bleacher Report. You might know him as at NBA Draft Wass on Twitter. And it is, of course, Jonathan Wasserman, uh, as I said, of Bleacher Report. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm how doing you doing well, the last time that we talked? You know, it's we're almost to the finish line as far as draft stuff is concerned. Yeah, wait, when was the last time we actually talked? I, like, it's kind of been a blur in terms of the past couple of months. Probably a little over a month ago. I think it's it was maybe over. middle of September. Uh, <laughs> if I had to put, if I had to guess, I, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but the, that's the month, I, I was just going to say, you going by slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, the days are long, the months are slow, kind of just waiting for this draft to get here already. Yeah, seriously. It's, uh, you know, it's it seems like it's been forever only because it has been. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, I mean, the reason one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today, uh, on top of just the fact that you're a fantastic guest and always give us lots of good insight, was you put out two really interesting mock drafts. And, uh, you know, you mentioned right before we started recording that you actually have another one coming out, uh, which maybe by the time this episode comes out, will already be out Uh that is going to feature a, a different outcome for the Knicks. But these last two outcomes for the Knicks, I think they've been probably the two, the most volatile team 
in each of your two mock drafts so far, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, I'll just recap it for anybody that didn't read the articles, but of course I would encourage anybody listening to go check out, uh, you know, your articles on Bleacher Report that have these mock drafts. On October 21st, you had one where the Knicks trade down with the Celtics for picks 14 and 26 and also snagged Tremont Waters off the Celtics. And then they wind up taking uh, Kyra Lewis at pick 14 and Leandro Bomaro with pick 26 and then take Jamius Ramsey at 27 with the Clippers pick, which they remain static there. Uh, but I believe you also mentioned like, you know, getting pick 26 and 27 does give some more ammunition to potentially be able to move up into the early 20s or maybe even the late teens. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And then on October 6th, this one this one raised a lot of eyebrows and I think probably got you yelled at by a, a decent number of Knicks fans on Twitter. Um, I held back because, you know, I'm a nice guy. But in my head, I was screaming a little bit. And it was uh, the Knicks trade up to number four with the Bulls to take Tyrese Halliburton and in the process give up pick 38 and Kevin Knox for the right to do so. Uh, and, of course, pick eight. You know, the, itself uh, goes then to the Bulls. They leave Killian Hayes on the board, Denny Avdia, uh, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, all these different guys that they've been linked to to go up there and get Tyrese Halliburton. And uh, then the Bulls wind up taking Killian at pick eight, which I know a lot of Knicks fans have really uh, talked themselves into Killian in general, uh, which made which was part of what made everybody so angry because they're like, if you're trading up, you may as well just take Killian. Like, why are you doing this and taking and taking Halliburton? Uh, and, and they still end up taking Ramsey at 27 with the Clippers pick. So, I guess like the my takeaway from these is that you know you said a number of times, you said on Twitter, you said it you know on our pod before and other pods. Like when you're doing big boards, it's your opinion, you know, of, of who's the best. And when you're doing mock drafts, you try to inform it based off your own scouting, based off what you're hearing from NBA scouts, based off what you're hearing about front office intel and stuff like that. So what about the intel that you've been hearing has given you, like, inclinations into the, the Knicks thinking? Because obviously, as I just mentioned, you know, there was one mock where you had the moving up a couple picks to go after Halliburton. There's another one where you had them moving down to take Kyra Lewis, which, you know, you've also written another article recently. You and Mark Berman uh, both, you know, broke the story. I think you actually broke it, and then Berman sort of elaborated that the Knicks have worked out Kyra Lewis and have, like, wined and dined to him, all that good stuff, and, you know, that he's kind of becoming a fast riser right now and maybe someone that could be in consideration in the top ten. So I guess all that is to say that's that's a lot of a lot of words, a lot of things to go over. But what's your general intel kind of at this particular moment as far as where you think the Knicks might be leaning, uh, or is it just kind of a hard read to get out of the front office there? I mean, they're looking at, and if you follow the the Knicks beat writers and and you guys and you know everybody Knicks oriented on Twitter, you kind of know the names at this point. Um, it's it's certainly Halliburton. I know fans like Killian Hayes over Halliburton. It seems like, you know, people watch a lot more Twitter. They pay a little more attention to Twitter than and it, it's not always indicative of what's actually going on behind the scenes. Um, also, when I did that trade, I mean, that was what early October. Um, it was it's early in the process. You know, that was a month ago, and at the time, you know, we didn't know exact targets, but I will tell you that teams love Halliburton. And I'm sure the Knicks would be 
happy if Halliburton fell to number eight. Now, I don't know exactly behind the scenes uh, how they rank Halliburton versus Killian Hayes. I know if you're on Twitter, you probably think that Killian Hayes is the easy, better prospect. But I'm telling you, there are plenty of teams who have Halliburton higher than Killian Hayes and feel safer about him. And so that was kind of behind that first trade. But other names, you know, Vassell and, and Isaac Okoro is certainly uh, a hot name. And Kyra Lewis, who was in that last trade, um, uh, a, a trade down target, um, who they could take at number eight. But I think ideally they'll feel a little bit more comfortable getting another asset and moving down a couple spots to get a guy like Lewis. Um and, you know, Hayes has got to be in the picture as well. And and uh, and so those couple wings and, and those guards seem like the obvious targets. Now, you know, the question is who's going to go in front of them? And it's it's so unpredictable right now. There's so much uncertainty um, that it's tough to say who's going to be there, who's going to be gone. Um, you know, for example, like Okongwu could technically be there for the Knicks. And we haven't heard their, his name tied to the Knicks at all. I have Okongwu number three on my board and if I were the Knicks, I'd take him regardless of Mitchell Robinson and him playing the same position. But, I mean, there's again, there's just so much uncertainty with who's going to be there at number eight. Uh, and then the Knicks, of course, have this these handful of targets who they're probably sorting out. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Built Go. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Yeah, that sounds like a great little rhyme, but... In reality, it's true. Uh, Built Go helps you break through your walls. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it every day with Built Go. Built Go comes in easy to take one and a half ounce packages. It's what they call a workout gel. You know, you just rip the top of the package and then just squeeze it and eat it. And it's actually pretty yummy. I mean, I've, I've tried all three flavors myself. There's peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Every single one I thought was really delicious, especially peanut butter honey, because the consistency of Bilko is sort of similar to honey itself. And, uh, you know, that really lent itself well to that flavor experience. And the best part is, is they come in little one and a half ounce packages that pack a wallop, but they're super easy to take with you. You know, you can I would say the copy says put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Let's be real. You're putting it in your pajama pants, you know, for on the Zoom call. If you feel like you need a, you know, a, a boost during your your Zoom presentation, you know, so do that. You can put it in your golf bag to power through the back nine, which, you know, we all know golf is probably the most socially distant compliant sport out there. Uh, or you can just put it in your pocket to get through the day. It's kind of like five hour energy, but you don't get that same crash feeling because it's natural and it's better for your body. So what are those natural things in Built Go that makes it better? It combines energy gel with collagen protein. It's got 15 grams of protein in just that little one and a half ounce package. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast and it's easy on your stomach. And, you know, I can attest to that. I've gone a number of times where I just took a Built Go before going to the gym and it didn't upset my stomach at all. And I put out some of my best workouts that I put out pretty much ever. I mean, I've been putting on a lot of a, a lot of weight on my machine since uh, coming back from quarantine. And Built Go is loaded with other good stuff to ignite your work, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And it has the, uh, the kick to keep you going strong with one, or sorry, 10,000% of your daily percentage of vitamins B6 and B12. It'll, it'll really keep you juiced up throughout your workout or your presentation or whatever you need to do throughout the day. 
On top of it, the collagen protein promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. So it literally makes you look better on top of making you feel better and recover better from your workouts, as well as give you the energy during your workouts. So if you're interested in picking up some Built Go, which again, personal endorsement, I would very much endorse this product uh, as it's been helping me with my workouts, uh, go to BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. John, can you kind of break down for us what the case is for Halliburton, um, particularly over, um, I, I guess, some of the perceived like top options at that spot, like Killian Hayes, like, and I guess really just like specifically between those two guys, because I, I think the way most Knicks fans look at it and the way we've looked at it is like Killian seems like a guy who can generate a lot of his own offense is at least as good, if not a better passer than Halliburton. Um, and and the obviously like the standout difference between the two is Halliburton is light years better as a standstill catch and shoot guy, while um, Hayes seems to like even though the percentages weren't great seems to project much better as a shooter off the dribble and has that really dirty step back. Um, defensively, like I, again, I haven't watched enough of the guys to have like a great feel for it. It seems like Halliburton might be the better team defender. Hayes is maybe the better one on one guy. Um, what what's sort of the argument for it, particularly for a team like the Knicks that? doesn't necessarily have like again that alpha that primary initiator that seems to be like the ideal type of player to pair Halliburton with well let's start with uh, I'll give you the case against Killian Hayes for the Knicks and one of the reasons why I just have a tough time picturing him the Knicks taking Hayes it starts with the fact that he's not a good shooter and um you pair him with R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and and you know, the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands, Killian Hayes, a lot, is, is not a great shooter. And the go-to guy and Barrett isn't a great shooter. And so that's an obvious drawback, although I think you could say that about Isaac Okoro, who I think is certainly in play uh, also. But Killian Hayes at a 25% turnover rate. And, I mean, to give the ball to Killian Hayes at 19 years old and let him run a bad team with his bad decision-making in terms of turnovers and his bad shooting, it's just not a good environment for Killian Hayes to develop. Uh, the case for Halliburton is that he's totally mature. I mean, he doesn't come off as a rookie. He's going to look like a veteran right away in terms of decision-making, his poise. He's a phenomenal passer. He averaged six and a half assists per game that really didn't do it justice. Teammates shot 22% um, off his passes from spot-up position. Like, he could have easily averaged nine assists if he was on a better team. So he was a phenomenal passer. He makes good decisions. He's a great spot-up shooter, um, like you mentioned. And I think for the Knicks, who are still you know, at the bottom level of the rebuild, he creates flexibility in that rebuild. You could take Halliburton and still go out and, draft and, and sign a point guard in Van Vliet. Or you could, you could take Halliburton and put him on the ball and get a two guard. I mean, you could do a lot of different things with Halliburton. He's going to fit no matter what you do. If you take Killian Hayes, he's got to be on the ball. And to put him on the ball with four other guys who aren't very good teammates and put him in that position, it's just not a good position for him to develop. We saw Frank Nilakina struggle in kind of the same situation, the same setting without talent to play off. And so I think that's really the big question is can Killian Hayes get better on that team on the, uh, on this particular Knicks team? Um, is it a good situation to develop? Meanwhile, Halliburton comes in with that, that maturity. And, and, uh, and I think teams just feel a level of comfort level with him. He's like a phenomenal interview, uh, totally down to earth, self-aware, says all the right things, easy to talk to locker room guy. Everybody loves him. He just comes off as a very safe, pick and I think 
his floor in a draft full of uncertainty, teams are valuing floors. Um, and, and I think Halliburton is considered to have one of the highest floors in this draft. And, and listen, I love Killian Hayes. I have him as top five prospect. In fact, I have him two or three, depending on who's picking. Um, and, and I think if he goes to a good situation, Hayes is going to be one of the best players in this draft. But uh, there are scouts who just don't see it with him. They don't see him being a blow guy, a blow by guy. They question his shooting. They question his decision making. Um, his team wasn't good at all. I think it won one, one game in in uh, in Euro Cup, and and so there's just, there's plenty of question marks to go with him. And I think there are fewer question marks about Halliburton. The only question mark is his ceiling. And again, I think in this draft, you're not really worrying about getting a star. I think teams are kind of accepting the fact that there aren't many stars. And with Halliburton, you just know what you're getting. You're getting a surefire, high-end role player. You know, I compare him to Lonzo Ball. He may never average 15 points a game. But in the right situation, I think he can give you value. That's, that's definitely a lot to chew on as far as Halliburton's concerned. Uh, I, I did want to kind of bring up, you know, I think that initially, especially before the before the draft lottery, you know, the, there was a lot of talk about, oh, could the Knicks trade up? and get in a position to take someone like LaMelo Ball, who I think, you know, I think if you would ask the Knicks, who's your number one target in this draft, they would probably still say LaMelo Ball, but they might just concede, you know, but realistically, he's not going to get to where we're picking. And, you know, they might say, oh, and, you know, the price to get him is too high. So we'd rather stand pat or trade back and get some extra assets, blah, blah, But something kind of interesting came up where we had uh, Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation on uh, about a week ago or maybe a little longer. And he said something that sort of stuck with me and I wanted to get your opinion on too, because I know, you know, as I mentioned, you're, you're someone who tries to inform your opinions based off what you're hearing from other scouts and around the league and stuff. And he was kind of saying that, you know, the, the cost of moving up might not be quite as much in this draft as previous drafts, because it seems like, everybody in the top four or five is at least somewhat interested in moving down mm -hmm. uh, or in the case of golden state and Minnesota seem to be actively shopping the picks based off a lot of reporting. Um, so do you think that there's maybe a chance that a team like the Knicks could still have a shot if at moving up in this draft, if the price actually is kind of down from, you know, what teams would have, thought that they would have been able to get for a normally for a number one or number two overall pick. Yeah. I mean, and so I think that's maybe the biggest question mark of this draft is what is it going to take to actually move up? Like what is golden state looking for? And so today I was told that golden state's really high on them to sell and that they would even consider him at number two, which I think is baloney. I don't think they would ever do that, but if they were really high on them to sell and he's probably going to be there at number eight. Um, yeah. What would it take for the Knicks to move up? I mean, I think, just realistically, the Knicks probably aren't going to trade Mitchell Robinson to move up to number two. He's probably the surest thing they have in the roster. And as as much as I love LaMelo Ball and, and they're excited about LaMelo Ball, he's still a question mark. We haven't seen him play a game yet where we at least know that Mitchell Robinson is going to be an exciting NBA player. He isn't already. Um, you know, would, would the Warriors take Frank and and picks? Like, I, maybe they could use a perimeter defender. Um, I, I It's just the biggest question mark in the draft is was what what is it going to take to move up in, into the top two or three um, where you're probably going to have to be in order to get LaMelo Ball? And, and I honestly don't know. I, I, I wish I knew. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, I mean, would, that's the biggest question. Like, would the, would the Warriors 
take Frank and, and Knox or you know a pair of those. Like they could use a wing and a perimeter defender plus the number eight pick plus number twenty seven. I mean, would that be enough? I don't know. It really depends on how much the Warriors value the Knicks, you know, other pieces outside of RJ and Mitch. If you were the Knicks, would essentially all of those options be on the table to go get LaMelo Ball? And I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is like, do you see him as a guy who could change the trajectory of the Knicks or would he, similar to Killian Hayes, be someone, if you put him in an infrastructure where he doesn't have a lot of support around him, and presumably he is a, he's a much better developmental staff now on the Knicks than he would have had if he was um, a year or two older and he was drafted a year or two ago, but it, it, it still doesn't seem like quite a perfect infrastructure for him to develop. Um, but do you think it makes sense for the Knicks to devote those kind of assets to go up and get him? I've lost sleep at night trying to decide. I mean, it's, it's uh, such a tough call. I mean, I think I would, if I was in charge of the Knicks and they were asking for Frank and Knox and, you know, the 27th pick or whatever, I think I'd pull the trigger. I think the question is, would you trade Mitch or RJ uh, to move up for LaMelo? And I'd say I'm probably leaning 60-40 towards, yeah, I would. Uh, Because as much as I like Mitch, I just don't see, I don't see him moving the needle for the franchise. And I think LaMelo Ball has the potential to do that. Of course, no matter what, they still got to go out and get free agents and draft right for the next couple of years. Like you have to do that no matter what happens in this. Draft. Mitchell Robinson is no matter how good LaMelo ball is. But I think based on where the Knicks are, they got to take some chances here. Um, and, and I think it's a, uh, it's tough to say, but I think I would, it's a risk worth taking um, because I think LaMelo ball has a greater chance to be an all-star caliber player than Mitchell Robinson. And I, I know you mentioned um, on, on the Knicks Film School podcast recently, and, uh, and I'm not sure. I, I know you, you just told us pre-show that you have a mock draft coming out tomorrow. So I don't know if this guy is still the pick, but I think you said right now, um, if the Knicks stay padded eight, uh, their pick would be Isaac Okoro. If I didn't uh, mishear you or misremember, um, do you think that is that a case of like you hearing that like the Knicks like particularly like him? Uh, maybe over other prospects. I know Ian Begley reported that the Knicks have done like a lot of uh, snooping around on him and done their due yeah. diligence and talked to Bruce Pearl a lot about Isaac Okoro. Or, or is it more so a situation where you just see like, all right, he would clearly be the best player available if the Knicks stay padded eight um, with the possible exception of Onyeko Okongwu, who, I mean, depending on what the Knicks want to do with Mitchell Robinson, uh, might not make sense. Yeah, so it's totally kind of a balance of what I'm hearing versus my own personal gut. And so he's he's... The Knicks have definitely done their due diligence and called Auburn and all their coaches and everyone he's been around. Like they definitely have interest in him. They've made that known uh, that they have interest in Okoro, but they also have done the same with the other guys in that same tier. So then we get to kind of eliminating the guys and picking out the one who I think that they would value most and knowing Thibodeau and, and I think just looking at the roster and what I said before in terms of valuing floors over over gambling on on upside uh, at, at at number eight relative you know talking about who were who the other guys are with upside like Kyra and Vassell like I think you could say that Okoro has similar ceiling but a higher floor and with Okoro he gives he gives the team something that's kind of been missing and that's defense and toughness and you could just see Rose trying to you know want to create an identity that the team has lacked over the last decade and Okoro comes in with this reputation um, aside for, for having the defensive tools and, and, um, and just instincts for, for defense. 
Um, he comes in with this reputation for, be, for being professional and a hard worker um, and a guy, you know, who stays in the gym nonstop, loves the game. And you won't hear a bad thing about him you know, going back to his early days in high school uh, till today from from any coaches that he, that he's ever been around. And again, I just think every coach is going to fall in love with his particular style of play, his efficiency offensively. I mean, 60 percent inside the arc. I know he didn't shoot threes very well, but he's a good. I think he's an underrated playmaker. If you dive deeper into the film, he didn't get many chances to be on the ball to create. Uh, but he's an unselfish passer. He can put the ball down, attack closeouts, and find the open guy. It really just comes down to can he make enough open jump shots? And it's like I talked to one scout earlier in the year that's always stuck with me. He's like, I think he can get to Marcus Marcus Smart level of shooting, where he's just you know he can he can catch fire every now and then, but he'll make you pay just enough if you leave him open. Thirty five percent. And uh, I think he gives you enough in the other in the other areas of the game in terms of finishing, passing, defense, and tangibles. And again, I could just see them feeling so safe with Okoro, um, and and Rose may not want to take much of a risk at number eight with the other guys. And again, just go with a guy who who they can bank on being a cornerstone for the next five years. Yeah, it, you know that that brings up another interesting thing as far as you know, safety and, and fit and all that stuff. You know, I think that I've thought about a lot, like what player potentially making it to the Knicks might make them the most attractive uh, to a team that's looking to trade up. And, you know, so I often think of like Okongwu, uh, Wiseman, although I'm starting to feel like that's less likely. It seems like based off everything I'm reading, it seems like he's probably going top five without much issue. Um, but maybe Halliburton, like we've mentioned, if he makes it to eight, do you have one player you think that if they make it to pay, maybe was sort of unexpected that it would be, you know, that player would be like the most enticing to one of those sort of fringe playoff teams that are rounding out the lottery behind the Knicks that, you know, maybe the ones that were in the bubble that, you know, like the Phoenixes of the world, Sacramento, you know, those teams that kind of think that they might be one step away from, uh, potentially rounding the corner? Like, is there one particular player you think would be most appealing to those sort of guys? So it's those two guys you mentioned, Okongu yeah. and Halliburton. I think yeah. a playoff team looks at Halliburton as a guy who can come in right away, fit into whatever lineup uh, they have, and again, just move the ball, make good decisions, knock down open shots, um, and bring a veteran presence. Um, so definitely Halliburton, like, you know, if you're the Celtics. And then Okongu again. I mean, Okongu, to me, is a top five player in this draft. I have him at number three arguably number two, again, depending on who's picking. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he went to Charlotte. I wouldn't be shocked if he fell to number nine just based on team needs and, and centers, you know, are kind of vulnerable to, to dropping in the draft because if you already have you already have one, like, you know, if, I'm interested to see if the Hawks, Hawks just traded for Capella. Okongu, to me, would be by far the best player available. Um, but I don't know if they would take Okongu. They might take Halliburton instead. So Okongu, to me, again, the Celtics keep jumping out as a trade-up team. Um, I'm trying to go down the board uh, of teams that could maybe use the center. But, yeah, Okongu jumps out for the for the Celtics. And then Patrick Williams, to me, is is the wild card from Florida State. And so I'm hearing from multiple sources that the Detroit Pistons love Patrick Williams. And I've gotten a lot of confidence from sources saying that he's their guy at number seven. Um, it's still early, two weeks away, but that's what I'm hearing and in general, like in all drafts, and particularly this one, 
like interest is contagious and there's a lot of interest building in Patrick Williams. I reported two, two months ago, I think that he was gaining steam as a top 10 pick. And that's definitely happening right now where teams are hearing that other teams are so high on Williams and they're reconsidering Williams looking um, and buying kind of the buzz. And now it sounds like I've heard Chicago's very interested in Williams. I don't know if they take him at number four, but Williams is like the hot guy right now. And, uh, and in a draft that lacks upside guys, like I've said this on a recent podcast, it might've been uh, Macri's that one scout told me when we look back in a couple of years, like if you had to pick one guy, who's going to be the best player in this draft that nobody expected, it would be Patrick Williams. And so Patrick Williams to me is the wild card that a team is like desperately trying to get and think that they can probably move up for without giving up too much. All right. And that's all for today with Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report. We will be back with another episode with Wasserman later this week uh, where we're going to get into today. It was more about the intel. And the next episode is kind of just about Gavin and my curiosities about certain players, about, you know, maybe why they have been mentioned as being related to the Knicks as much. Uh, Patrick Williams is a guy that comes up that we've already done some podcasts on, but is a guy that Gavin and I both, you know, are definitely into as a prospect. And so is Wasserman. Spoiler alert. Uh, we talk about who who Wass's ideal Knicks point guard pick might be. Um, you know, if, especially if they go wing early, you know, what would be his ideal pick for them later on in the draft? Uh, who are some of the guys that he's really, you know, marking on his board with a highlighter that he thinks could be a good fit there and, and outplay their draft position? And talk about a couple other, uh, you know, later guys like Robert Woodard. Uh, Killian Tilly, we talk about a little bit, and Wass makes his case for Skylar Mays, who's uh, one of his favorite prospects in the draft, and someone that he's uh, quite a bit higher on than consensus among you know other guys' draft boards. So we'll get into all that next time that we're back with Jonathan Wasserman on Locked On Knicks. <laughs>